Hello and welcome again to Lost in Science across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Stu and boy have we got some science for you. Uh, I'm going to be talking about how people interact when they're in groups. Uh, some new research suggests that people tend to meet in the middle when, they, uh, when they're forced to reach a consensus. Chris, what have you got for us? Well, Stu, I'm going to be talking to uh, some comedians, people uh, Tom Lang and Pam Runner, who are putting on a science comedy show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. They're here in the studio with us now. Hello. Hi. 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 Their show is called Meatbags, and it's about uh, medicine and the science of the human body and anatomy. So, yeah, we'll be having a bit of a chat to them and finding out what's so funny about the human body anyway. What's not funny about the human body? Well, well, we'll find out. You'll have to prove that to us. (laughs) And Beth talks to Dr. Linda Blackhall about microbes. So stay tuned, Meatbags. Okay, you are listening to Lost in Science, and we are here talking to Tom Lang and Dr. Pam Runner, mm-hmm. uh, whose show Meatbags is going to be on the Melbourne Comedy Festival starting, I think, the... The 25th of t- March. Welcome to the show. Now, your show is, uh, it is, like I said, it's called Meatbags. It's about the human body. Tell me, what is so funny about the human body? Just everything. It's just a horrible bag of organs that's like 50% a bit disturbing and 50% kind of whimsical. So, a bit like this show. <laughs> right. I mean, you've got, you've got a body and a mirror, right? So <laughs> yeah. there's a start. I, I assume that we're looking inside the human body here. Yeah. Is that correct? We're looking in and around the human body and also the history of human health and how certain procedures were developed and just sort of the comedy that comes with examining your body and, you know, all the, the weirdness that is associated with, with our, our natural born lives. <laughs> okay, so there is an educational aspect to to your show as well. Oh, is yeah. this what you're saying? Yeah, it's all, we've done our research, it is all fully 100% scientific facts. A little bit of, like, imagination here and there. Um, a healthy in- dose of sarcasm. Yeah, <laughs> but we've made sure we're not telling people lies. We want people to walk out of there knowing maybe slightly more than they did when they came in. Okay, so you're both, um, you're both qualified in a scientific fashion, I believe. <laughs> more or less. Yeah. <laughs> Pam is much more qualified than me, but I have moxie. That's yeah. All he's all sass, and um, I'm all crass. Uh, yeah, I have a medical degree from the University of Queensland, um, but I wouldn't consider myself any more qualified than you know ev- any other person. Um, that's just social stratification. And well, I, the I don't legal system considers you more. Qual- I can't just <laughs> prescribe things to people. <laughs> sure, you can. Eh, not legally. I loaned you my prescription pad. I thought it was for a reason. <laughs> okay, so. How did you get into this idea of, of using combining medicine or science with, with comedy in this way? Um, I think we came at it from different directions. Yeah, well, um, me personally, um, you know, I'm, I'm a comedian. I'm also a doctor. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I generally like to fuse the two things together. And uh, when I do my stand-up, I like to inform people and um, give them sort of funny health tips and just, like, make them feel... Uh, more aware with comedy because I feel like that helps uh, 
deliver the health message in a much more palatable way. That's mm-hmm. like definitely you know something that they'll take on board and that they'll they'll integrate into their lives. Um, right. And Tom, well, I I was a well, I still am a science communicator, so I do a lot of uh, teaching school kids about science and adults and museums and things like that. And I think along the line, I was like, ah, it's it's funny to do little jokes in the middle. And then I was like, what if I did a lot more jokes? What if I just did comedy? And somehow I've ended up being a, a sort of science-themed stand-up comedian. Hmm. Um, so maybe the two ways we got into it weren't so different. Yeah, <laughs> We both do comedy, but mm-hmm. I think we can both agree that um, comedy is definitely much more fulfilling when it has intent and purpose. Mm-hmm. A message. Um, yeah, yeah, when it is just sort of this hedonistic pursuit, you know, where you're actually telling people something that you believe matters. Mm-hmm. And um, we've both written shows that sort of, you know, uh, speak to those passions. Tom did a show last year about, you know, funny reproductive mating patterns. And I did a show about the environment and mm-hmm. its consequences on the health. And, and then, we saw each other's shows and we were like, hey. Like, Maybe we should work together. Synergy. Uh, yes, synergy. Yeah. Things coming together. Yeah. And, and we both like PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> so so there, there will be a lot of PowerPoint. Oh yeah, it's very there will visual. be PowerPoint. Yes. I, I was wondering whether there would be actual Points sort of, of live dissections or um, <laughs> or blood and guts on stage. That was actually uh, a thing that we had to figure out. We were like, can we put up like medical photos of diseases and stuff? And we decided not to not to get too gross. Like we don't have any images of like dissected lungs and stuff. But we do describe them. But sometimes. I will excise any polyp anywhere, anytime. <laughs> I usually have the equipment in my car, Good. so if you have a growth of some kind... Look, look <laughs> not that I want to admit to on radio, so we won't, <laughs> we won't go there quite away. Um, so I'm a bit interested in this idea, though, what you said about uh, how the comedy helps you get the health messages across and this sort of thing. Do you find How do the audience respond to this? Do people actually, you think, come away with receiving a message, or are they just there to have a laugh and to not be uh, informed as well as um, entertained? Well, I've always gotten... Like, because I wasn't sure either when I started. I was like, are people going to like learning stuff? Are they going to be like, oh, he's trying to teach me things? <laughs> but I find, like, people are into it. And, like, science is cool now. You've got your IF and love science on Facebook. Are we allowed to swear here? I don't even know. Um, science has always been cool. Right. But, <laughs> but it's it's more cool in the public eye now. And I've had people, like, write on my Facebook wall, like, I know, if only I'd had a science teacher like you in high school, I might not have become a lawyer and stuff like that. So <laughs> and the world needs resp- less lawyers. Exactly. So that, that would have been a great thing. Mm. That's our next show. <laughs> the world, world needs awful. less lawyers. Uh, and I feel if people are laughing, I mean, that it indicates that they have taken the message on board and integrated the knowledge and now mm-hmm. are responding with laughter. Mm. So I know that, you know, they're getting, like, things are getting across and yep. usually after the show, you know, they'll come up and they'll say, you know, friendly things like, oh, thanks for sharing that information with me. Like, oh, I didn't know that it was important to stretch or <laughs> that, you know, air fresheners are bad. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Okay. It's fulfilling. And I think if you make someone laugh, uh, they're sort of forced to remember it a bit more than if you're just like, hey, guys, remember this. It's uh, lecture. Oh, yeah. People right. always remember a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so what is a, a message that uh, people can hope to get out of your show? Uh, that even though the human body is kind of gross, it's still pretty cool, I think. Your body is amazing. It's wonderful. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, I think the message that we want, we want to sort of uh, get out there is that, you know, there, there are interesting facts in and around the body and about the history of, of medicine itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what we're just hoping to do is just educate people in yeah. a funny way and just sort of get them stimulated 
Um, mm. And yeah. There's only so much we can tell in an hour, um, but I think a lot of it is getting people thinking about the fact that it's so much more complicated and interesting than they might realize if they just look in the mirror. Yeah, right. well, one thing that I really like is that, you know, we're describing a lot of new science as mm -hmm. well. And uh, so there's a lot of, uh, sort of research now about the second brain and the celiac plexus, and I, which is a bundle of nerves uh, located here, just, you know, uh, in your sternal region. Can, can and, you describe uh, that a bit more for, <laughs> for, our, for our radio <laughs> listeners? Sternal region, um, sort of uh, right above the stomach, you know, yep. uh, right between the diaphragm and the stomach. Uh, there's, no, there's a brain. Draw a line yeah. up from your belly button. Pretty much. Perfect. Thank you, Stu. Yeah, okay. Uh, but what we, uh, what interesting fact that people might not know is that, you know, this is a large collection of nerves, the largest collection of nerves in the brain, in the body, outside of the brain. Mm. And then this collection of nerves is actually comparable to the brain of a small dog. So when you think about it, think of all the things a dog can do. And th this is this, you know, yeah. autonomous, self-functioning So when your stomach's system. growling, it's actually... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's it can, like, it, uh, there's some evidence to show that it might be able to learn, uh, like, independently of the main brain. What? You're not sending a lot of messages down to your stomach. It's running mostly autonomously, but it's sending a lot of messages back to you. So if you sever the spinal cord, it can still digest, it can still operate things more or less, well, to a degree. Not as well, but it's, it's got a lot of autonomous function. Yeah, of course. And also, well, I mean, it's right there in our, our language as well. I mean, we talk about things like gut feelings and, you know, anal retentive. But, you know, we're that's, that's learning a bit different more there. So the anal retentive is a bit di different location, I think, if I understand <laughs> yeah. anatomy. Yeah. It's still digestive. Right, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. And it is, uh, retention is a, is a nerve-related uh, function. So, mm -hmm. okay. yeah, dysfunction, I should say. Um, but, you know, we're learning more and more that um, you need to have sort of harmony in this area of the body, the wow. stomach brain, in order for it to function pr appropriately. And it's related to your mood and it's related to your levels of energy and how, you know, well you sleep and uh, digestion overall. Mm. I mean, it's just, the, the health impacts are, you know, quite, quite large and resonating. So, yeah. And I think it's kind of a theme that we come back to a couple of times or that we've, we, we like to think about is the fact that you're not your main brain is not the only thing in control of your body. There's all these other little, you've got your stomach brain, you've got all the tiny bacteria living on you that are <laughs> monitoring and like keeping all your equilibriums. More yeah. bacterial cells than human cells, I yeah. believe. Yeah, by about 10 to 1. You're outnumbered by your cells, by bacteria cells. It's insane. Yeah. Genetically, okay. I'm more bacteria than person. Ah. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, well, look, this is, um, it does sound like there is a lot of useful health advice and, and information that people can learn, as well as, obviously, a bit of a laugh as well. So, yeah, you are at the Comedy Festival, uh, the Croft Institute, I believe, in Melbourne, which is a scientific-themed... Um, Science-themed bar. Science-themed bar. Yeah. yeah, excellent. And uh, the details are on the Comedy Festival website. Absolutely. Meat bags, M-E-A-T, not meeting bags. <laughs> okay, well, um, we will all get along to that. So thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Thank you.
Now, the names uh, Dunning-Kruger may not be quite household names yet, um, but the effect they reported in 1999 is certainly having an impact in certain fields, even beyond psychology, which is where it most applies. Um, So the Dunning-Kruger effect, if people don't know, is the tendency of people who are highly skilled in a certain capacity to underrate their abilities, and conversely, for poorly performing people to overrate their abilities. Um, And basically it suggests that when people are not very good at something, they may be so bad at it, they can't even judge how bad they are. So Um, it's also why the world is a bad place, is that what it is? Well, it, it, it... goes some way to suggest reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And if they're really good at something, they may be so well informed about the task that they identify every flaw in their performance, Mm. um, which is, you know, not not a great thing if you're trying to, you know, achieve things. Um, And this seems to explain an awful lot about human behaviour in Mm. all sorts of areas. Um, But new research has found that self-assessment of performance is not the only factor at play in the skewing of results about human uh, activities. And that even when working groups, performance measurements may not be quite accurate. Uh, In a paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science this month, researchers found that across different cultures, people working groups underrated high performance and overrated low performance when reporting results. So they duplicated the same experiment in three locations, Denmark, Iran and China, And the researchers found similar results across all three test groups. So the experiment paired up subjects and showed them images on a screen, and one of the images didn't match the others. And the subjects had to pick out which of these things was not like the others, just like the old song from Sesame Street. Um, But the two in each pair had to agree on which was the odd one out. So first of all, they separately indicated their answer with indication of how confident they were that they were right. And if they disagreed... One of the group, one of the pair, was chosen randomly to decide who was right. Okay. Um, and then they were told the correct response and who who got it right and who got it wrong, and the whole process was repeated two hundred and fifty six times with each pair, so they mm. had replication, obviously. Um, so they each learned through the process which partner was more accurate. So who got right the right answer more times. Um, now you might think, so they didn't go in with a deliberate smart person and a dumb person. You no, just had two randomly chosen just people. Just two randomly chosen yeah. people. So it was based on their performance on this task specifically because right. that's that's a good way to have you know controlled um, you know data on a on a psychological experiment. Really. Um, now, obviously, in in every pair, someone did do better and someone did do more poorly. But they didn't design it. To, to come out that way. That's just how it came out because <laughs> chances are it is going to come out that way. Um, so you'd think that in that sort of situation, the rational decision would be to favour the person who consistently scored higher out of the pair. But that's not what happened. Now, what they found was that within the pairs, each partner behaved as if they were equal in ability to their partner. Mm whether they were better at picking the right answer or not. So they sort of took each, um, each trial as if, it, as if they had no information already on the other person a little bit? Well, and, and the, the people participating in the trial, um, the ones who did more poorly, 
behaved as if they were as good as the other person, mm. and the person who did better behaved as if they were as bad as the other person. Oh, it's all this democracy, convincing yeah. everybody <laughs> that they're equal. Yeah, and well, it's, it's trying to be fair, though, isn't it? As well, yeah. I mean, you don't want to come in and say, "Yeah, I'm better than you." You know, let's let's discuss but, this. Or so, I'm not as good as you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and well, yeah, and and so they they thought, well, maybe we'll just overcome this. This is just you know, this is just a little bias that we can overcome by by you know. Putting, shifting the odds up, making it, making it a bit more interesting. Um, so what they did was um, they tried to make the differences between the partners more obvious, um, including offering them money for getting the answer right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and what they found was that, the, that what they called the equality bias in this experiment didn't go away. So huh. even when they were offered money oh, wow. for the pair to come up with the right answer, they still didn't. Choose the person who got the answer right more often. Because that's a that's a technique you see in a lot of these psychology studies: the the money incentive to try and make people behave more rationally. I suppose mm. make them think about what they're doing. Well, yeah, they incentivize it so that they're, yeah. they're not just going, "Oh, I've just got to be nice to this person." They're going, "Hey, if we if we get more answers yeah, right. right, we'll get more money." Um, but they still behaved in the same way by, wow. by behaving as if they were equal to each other. Um, so the researchers suggested that in human groups, the need for cooperation between individuals leads those individuals to seek the middle ground, and they find that consensus is more important habitually than their own personal achievement. Or success in general. It's more important to be a happy losing team than a cranky winning team. Well, they do say it's, you know, it's it's how you play the game. It's not whether who wins or loses, yeah, it's that, how that, you play that, the game. Depending on how yeah. much money you put on the winning. Clearly, it doesn't matter how much money you put on the winning because they Maybe still behave the same. Maybe they need to change the, the incentive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of comforting, I think, that humans are, like, adapted to stick together a little bit rather than than have the, the smart ones rule over the weak ones with an iron iron fist. Now, this is, this is of course, not to suggest that there aren't aren't people with abnormal psychology out there who who will happily rule over the weaker (laughs) ones and will uh, abuse every chance they get to... um yeah, you're describing it's, the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because now because you mentioned <laughs> democracy <laughs> before, <laughs> Tom, and this is kind of is kind of a democracy thing, isn't it? That we don't, for instance, listen to what experts have to say on things. We yeah. vote on stuff. So yeah. you think about like controversial issues when sometimes there is an expert opinion on things. I'm thinking of. Something sound rhymes with blimey, blange. <laughs> um, <laughs> the whole maybe, maybe both sides are equal. Let's hear a yeah, dissenting opinion. Right. And we come try to come to some sort of consensus on these issues, mm. even when we'd be better off just saying no, forget democracy. And here's and, someone who doesn't believe in science right. to give us the other point of view. Crea- yeah, creating debate where there is yeah. no debate is yeah. is a is a very human trait, I think. But certainly, at the, this point in history, um, if anyone wants to look into it, the uh, the paper is called. Equality bias impairs collective decision making across cultures, mm. which pretty much describes what they found. So, um, what, where can they find that? Uh, that was uh, it's going to be published in the uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. Okay, so is that like a free online thing people can? Yeah, there's yeah. there's a free. You can read the abstract. You okay. might have okay. to log in <laughs> if you want to read the right. entire paper. Right. But yeah, um, the there, there, there are there are articles me. about it. There are articles about it. So if you want to. Um, if you put that in your, if you put that title in, you'll find okay. writing about it anyway. And if we're working in pairs with someone, maybe try and think about who actually knows more and and listen to them. Who can spell better? I'm, I'm looking at you two here. <laughs>
Now, I'm looking at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we usually work well, in threes, so this doesn't. Yeah, apply yeah, to yeah. The dynamics need need more work yeah. On, on, yeah. on threes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. What happens as group size increases? I want to see that study. At what point does it break down and you just elect a leader? Well, I'm sure that's probably the next step in oh. their study. That's, mm. That seems to be the way it's leading anyway. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. the pleasure of having Dr. Linda Blackhall here on Lost in Science, who is a professor of bioscience at Swinburne University in Melbourne. Welcome, Linda, to the show. Yeah, thanks very much, Beth. It's a great pleasure. So one of your passions is uh, learning about microbes and communicating um, about microbes, the understanding that we have and the understanding that we can gain and the role that microbes play in ecosystems, um, including ourselves. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yes, yes, it's a it's a it's a field that's growing uh, has been growing over the last many years, and of course there are many fields that are of interest and uh, knowledge to certain people. But one of the fields that's uh, quite uh, quite new is the is the uh, the role of uh, complex microbial communities. So there are many many different species, many thousands of species, all of them unable to be seen with the naked human eye. So they're all uh, you might say invisible. They're certainly very small and they play such uh, profound roles. And how do we get that information across? Because in this current uh, day and age, what people are concerned about is, is hygiene and, um, and everything is sterile anymore and how bad everything is in the microbial world. And, of course, there are bad microorganisms. And when I say bad, bad because people might um, get a disease and die or an animal might or a plant might. And so we know about microbes, I would say, largely from that perspective. But... Uh, they need a little bit of good press as well because uh, they're so important. Um, in fact, uh, without them, we're, we're, we wouldn't be able to survive. Um, and so, it's, uh, it's, it, they need to be, they need to be um, having a better, uh, a better profile. And so, communicating about them from a, from their beneficial perspectives is is the motivation that one of the motivations I have. And so, how far are we along in terms of understanding the role microbes play in 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 our worlds and how we can kind of assist yeah, the good well, ones? It, it's, it's, it's despite that there's been a lot of research in many fields, it's still a quite an early stage of, uh, of knowledge because a um, uh, lot of the uh, communities are very, very complex and the interactions between them are really at an early stage of uh, beginning to understand what that complexity or that interaction is. And um, it's like a, a jigsaw puzzle or, or a puzzle, let me say, if you pull one piece out, what happens to the rest? Um, do they fall over fully? Uh, because it's a fine, well, finely balanced. It's a balanced system that's occurring. I'm not sure how finely balanced, but um, you might find that there's one that you'd like to not have there. Take it out. What is the impact uh, to the rest? Those are the sorts of questions that are hard to address, and uh, but but are slowly being addressed. So, so the field of uh, uh, understanding the the, role, the roles of the different um, uh, species, the complexities of the species, and the roles that the different ones play is at a fairly early stage. And indeed, in some complex microbial communities, at a certain abundance level, a particular bacterium, for example, 
might be uh, detrimental and at a, at a very high level, for example, and at a very low level they might be detrimental for a completely other reason, and then at an intermediate level of abundance they might be beneficial. Those are the sorts of areas that we're trying to, uh, to are doing studies at the moment to try to work out um, uh, what can we understand and can we indeed manipulate these even to, to be more beneficial for us. So is it as much the interactions between microbes that is important than understanding the individual? Yes, ones? the interactions are very important because in any, in any complex community, none of the organisms are there just for a ride. All of them are doing something that contributes to the stability and the, the uh, maintenance of that complex community. So none of them are just sitting around having a good time. Well, most of them, may, they may be having a good time, but they're being beneficial to the location where they are. So the complexity is important, but the interactions, as you just asked about, are also really important. Uh, and, and trying to understand that is hard because it's so complex and requires really what we call a, a systems biology approach. And that's a field of endeavour that's uh, growing in uh, popularity, this uh, term or this field known as systems biology. So by, by using some of the skill sets that systems biologists can, can, um, can use, so looking at networks and trying to understand the roles of the different uh, components, uh, we'll start to understand what their functions are in a much deeper fashion in comparison with what we currently understand. Mm. And can you give us an example of a complex um, microbial community that you're interested in? Yeah, sure. Well, they're, they're, they're all over the place. Many of them are um, in places you wouldn't imagine. But one that's re relevant, let me say, to, to humans um, and one that's attracted probably the most interest over the last 10 to 15 years from a research perspective is the uh, complex microbial community that was, lives inside the gastrointestinal tract or the gut of the human. And uh, we, t we talk about the gastrointestinal tract. It starts at the mouth and it goes down the throat um, into the stomach, and that's the first um, sort of known or m more well-known um, environment. Uh, this is, a, for humans at least, a hostile environment. It uh, has a very low, it's very acidic, um, but very many, many complex uh, communities of organisms live there. Then the uh, material from the mouth or down through the throat to the stomach goes through to the small intestine and then to the large intestine. And so through that long... Um, tube, you might say it is. A, it is. A, it is a. It is a tube, but a very complicated one. Mm. Um, there's these uh, probably several thousands, perhaps uh, five to ten thousand different species of um, of microorganisms that live in there. Um, and so, if you consider person, um, the, the genus and species is Homo sapiens. We're one species. And then uh, living in our gut, we've got another, let me say, nearly sometimes up to 10,000 species um, who, who are all playing most frequently uh, beneficial roles and on occasion um, detrimental roles. And so that's one of the reasons we'd like to understand them. What do they do? They consume our food. They convert it into um, other chemicals that we can actually use, the human can use, because... Um, uh, a salad sandwich um, is no good for us uh, until it's passed through our intestine and has been converted into the components of that uh, food has been converted into chemicals that can be absorbed into the bloodstream and then we can obtain energy from those other chemicals and who produces those are the microbial communities that live inside of our gut. So, so that's one really complex microbial community. Uh, it's been a driver for development of techniques and knowledge uh, over the last, as I said, 10 to 15 years. And, and the motivation for studying that microbial community is because it impacts our health and well-being in a very profound 
uh, and and um, uh, far-reaching fashion, uh, including allowing us to remain alive for one thing, but also uh, to be well. Um, so not just uh, not just living, but also uh, how well are we? What's our health like? So that microbial community. Um, has a role in 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 our in our well-being and, and how healthy are we and how do we feel? What do we feel like? Dr. Linda Blackall, thank you so much for your time. It's been really That's um, interesting. That's a great pleasure. You. Thank you, Beth. Thank you. And that was Dr. Linda Blackall, who is a professor of bioscience from Swinburne University in Melbourne, chatting to us about microbes and the microbial world. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Lost in Science on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can leave a comment on our blog, which is lostinscience.wordpress.com. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter if you want to look for us there. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If that's not enough information, you can tune in again next week when Chris, Beth and Stuart get lost in science! listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.